Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound Off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Transcripts were released. Who's who? The Americans at the center of the Trump Ukraine uproar. And these transcripts. What's going on with these transcripts? A lot to get through on the impeachment inquiry. Uh, the, the transcripts were released earlier today. Meanwhile, we've got the latest. On the Nats at the White House, the Nats were at the White House. President Trump had a, had a lot to say about that. He'd rather talk about the World Series, folks, than impeachment. And the latest on the 2020 campaign trail, it's heating up. It's heating up as Elizabeth Warren says how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. Sari Kim is here, Republican strategist, attorney, former senior advisor in the Trump administration. Her bags are packed. She's heading to Texas. And Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Lots to get through. Big news today. I was up on Capitol Hill and these transcripts get released. The House Intelligence Committee and the other two uh, impeachment inquiry uh, impeachment inquiry in, uh, committees looking into these transcripts. I- I'm not sure there was any bombshell that's going to change the trajectory of this uh inquiry, Joel. What did you make? It's fodder. Um, And from what I understand, this is the first of kind of a rolling uh, group of transcripts that are going to come out over the course of this week. I think we're going to get Sunland and Volcker tomorrow. Tomorrow. And I think really what we're going to see here is Democrats (laughs) trying to fill in the void now that a lot of the public, the the private testimony is over with kind of some public releases of some of the more damning things that might have been said behind closed doors. Um, I don't think anything probably is going to materially change public opinion. I think it's just going to continue to kind of build up the fodder for what Democrats hope will be a a, a lead into impeachment proceedings in a few weeks. Foxnews.com. The headline reads, Sari Dems release first impeachment probe transcripts from closed-door interviews. The panels released testimony from former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine Mary Yovanovitch and Michael McKinley, a former senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Some of the revelations, and again, I'm not sure I noticed any bombshell ones that would impact whether or not the president would have impeachment. Uh, But Yanovich testified that Ukraine told her about the Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani's campaign to oust her. But again, when you I read these transcripts in uh, in uh, in the Capitol today, Sari, and my takeaway was, well, it's politics. 
What I, is politics impeachable? I mean, I totally agree with you. There was no bombshells. It's all politics. I think the biggest news of the day is that Kim Kardashian said she gained 18 pounds. I mean, really, is anybody paying that attention? That wasn't in the transcript. But the was anybody paying attention to the transcript? Because at the end of the day, the number one concern is that you, an impeachment is a constitutional crisis. And a constitutional crisis requires an abusive power, obstruction of justice, and words of he said, she said doesn't rise to that level. And what Chairman Adam Schiff is trying to do is he's trying to put the line out there at the 50-yard line, and yet he can't seem to get there. So these transcripts are continuing to push him there, but there is no there there. I want to mention, regardless, I don't want to have a debate. I mean, obviously, both of you are on different sides in terms of whether or not there's a there there. But for regardless, I was struck by this. They're going to be releasing, Joel, these transcripts, the hearings and whatnot. And and from the one side of my brain is saying that the Democratic strategy is drip, 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 steady, steady, drumbeat. But then if I'm – the Republicans are, that I'm talking to are saying the, the American people are just going to be so inundated with this that they're going to get fatigued by it and, and just tune it out. Well, I think, you know, a question you have to, the Democrats are asking themselves now is like cadence and speed, right? And, and I've talked about that a couple of the last times that I've been here with you is how fast is this going to move, right? Is this just kind of the interim between now and another period of revelations coming up in a few weeks? Are there going to be um, more corroborations of people like John Bolton, right? That's a game changer. If the president's former national security advisor comes out and corroborates some of the concerns if here, he testifies. That's, a, that's a game changer. Bolton's I, supposed to testify this week, but nobody knows if he's going to show up. Energy Secretary Rick Perry, he's supposed to testify this week. Nobody knows if he's right. going to so show th- up. So like that level of, of, of a corroborator is, is, is a game changer. Um, but I think what, what we've arrived at is, look, a lot of the public polling numbers show that this is starting to line up with the president's job approval. And so it's turned into a political test. And I think that's what Democrats have to stay away from, is allowing this to become a straight ballot test. If it's a ballot test, Democrats lose. Sari, take a listen to what Adam Schiff, House Intel Chairman Adam Schiff, had to say today upon the release of these transcripts. Here he is. Republicans were present for all of these depositions. And in fact, they had equal opportunity with Democrats to ask questions. And you will see they took full um, advantage of those opportunities to ask questions. I mean, you hear them and... I mean, what's the point? Again, I whenever I hear Adam Schiff say anything, I don't believe what he said. As everybody knows, I read the Mueller report 19 times. I listened to him say on television 19? and radio. Quick, quick, quick cue. How long does it take you to read the Mueller report? Well, I mean, it took me like five hours each time because I read the wow. footnotes and then I was memorizing it. But every time that I hear and listen to Adam Schiff, I remember the 423 times he said that there was direct evidentiary proof that President Trump criminally colluded with Russia to interfere in 2016. I don't believe what he says, but at the end of the day, the most important thing about this entire process is that if President Trump committed any crime, it doesn't matter the time, it doesn't matter the politics, you should go to the substance. And it seems like every Democrat is only focused on the politics of it. Do you think we're going to find out who the whistleblower is? Will the whistleblower have to testify publicly? Absolutely. So when people when people say, hey, you got to protect whistleblowers, what, what do you say to them? I say that if you're going to impeach the president of the United States on a constitutional basis, you should know who is doing it because there was no trial. So I'm back in Delco yesterday. And, you know, just having it was like when I was a kid. I was watching the Sunday shows, watching Joel on MSNBC with our good friend David Gura, former Bloomberger, by the way. And then President Trump comes out and he's talking to reporters and I'm like, oh, I should be there. But uh, 
here's what he said about the whistleblower and whether or not the whistleblower needs anonymity, Joel. And then I really do want you to respond because Sari makes a point. But I want to hear your your thoughts on whether or not this whistleblower should ought to have anonymity because that's the talk of the town. Here it is. Here's President Trump. The whistleblower gave a very inaccurate report. And as you know, certain of the media uh, released information about a man that they said was the whistleblower. I don't know if that's true or not. But what they said is he's an Obama person. So, <laughs> I mean, OK, look, Kevin, and I, I know we don't want this to devolve in just like the Democrat doesn't like Trump and the Republican likes Trump. No, but we like, want to have a conversation but like, but, but here's like the, the here's Nats the problem. do about here's politics. The problem. So, like, the president just said that the whistleblower, the, the complaint is inaccurate. He has corroborated the whistleblower complaint. All of the witnesses who are all Republican appointees have corroborated the whistleblower complaint. So, you know, look, it's like pick your truth, right? Like, I mean, pick what, what your lion eyes are telling you See, or I'm what. I'm not, I'm not when people didn't have to pick truth. We just knew what the facts were. Well, and, and this is the problem. It's hearsay testimony. And as an attorney, I would like to say, and for people who focus on Watergate and Nixon, when you had deep throat – there was two years of evidentiary documents produced by the Washington Post, the New York Times, by various other people who, quote unquote, leaked during the Nixon impeachment process. All we right. have one hearsay testimony. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk more about policy and politics. We've got the latest uh, got the latest on, on the U.S.-China trade talks. Which, by the way, U.S. stock benchmarks climbed to all-time highs while treasuries tumbled as trade optimism fueled demand for risk assets. So the markets, again, are not blinking on the transcript release they are following across the globe. President Xi Jinping's comments and remarks regarding the uh, regarding the U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, panel stays. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com. <laughs> there are birds flying. There's an outside. Armageddon of birds outside. Birds. <laughs> it's so many birds. <laughs> I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. <laughs> You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. America fell in love with the Nats baseball. They just fell in love with Nats baseball. That's all they wanted to talk about. That and impeachment. That I like Nats baseball much more. <laughs> that was President Trump speaking earlier today at the White House. Uh, he hosted the World Series champions, Washington Nationals. I'm here with uh, two political all-stars, Sari Kim, Republican strategist, and Joel Payne, Democratic strategist. Did you catch, uh, Sari, the Nats at the at the White House? They they the Nats clubhouse reminded me of my family back home in Philly. I mean, it was it's so politically diverse. You got a couple players not coming, other players wearing red "Make America Great Again" hats. Really shows that you can all play on the same team or be in the same family and hold different viewpoints. Yeah, I thought the most amazing thing was that Suzuki, the catcher who uh, hit the homer um, against the Mets, he basically walked up and put a "Make America Great" hat again, and <laughs> President Trump did a bro hug from behind and. Was was a like, I love this guy. I love this guy. You I know, mean, that was, that was the best thing I saw the, today. He was at that fight over the weekend. Yeah, the 
UFC fight. And this is what's really great about the 2020 race is the Democrats are eating themselves alive on policy well, proposals, on impeachment. But no, no. But what nice I'm saying about sports and but what I, but I really, right what, in the partisanship. what I really want to say is that the Trump campaign and reelection 2020 have focused on the fact that Donald Trump is so culturally pervasive that whether you talk about baseball, whether you talk about the Kardashians, whether you talk about makeup, Kanye. whether you talk about Kanye traveling or whatever, Donald Trump is always involved. And that's the problem with the Democrats. How do you fight that? How do you fight a 99.9% user ID? Joe, go ahead. Um, he's going to Alabama LSU apparently in a few weeks, which is about the uh. most predictable thing I could have imagined. They're going to put him somewhere in Trump country uh, so he can get a different response from the crowd. Well, so I think it's I think it's I think it's great that some players felt comfortable going, and the players that didn't feel comfortable going were given the room to do that. You know, what, I think good. it's great that the Philadelphia Eagles won yesterday, and we have a buy, and we're going to beat the New England Patriots in two weeks. Um, shutdown is on my radar around Thanksgiving, November twenty fourth. Uh, November 21st, I apologize. November 21st is when that partial government shutdown mm-hmm. could actually happen. And stocks, as we mentioned, are not blinking on all this mm-hmm. impeachment transcript fodder mm-hmm. and what happened. And we were talking about that earlier. Uh, but they are going to be carefully paying attention to the U.S.-China trade talks. We're going to go there in a second. But a key market potential mover could be, Sari, the prospects of another government shutdown. I think it's already baked in. I mean, this is why. this you think is it why, is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, let's look at the numbers. It's up 18 percent of the year. Last year, when there was a shutdown, it was 28 percent. The S&P is at, what, 22 percent right now? All these numbers show that the markets have finally calibrated to his personality. And I will tell you, the one thing that is the most true in in November is that if the Democrats continue to move forward with impeachment, there will be a government shutdown. I want to... Oh, so you're saying that 100%. The floor, that the calendar could be impacted the shutdown calendar could be impacted by floor time with regards to the impeachment inquiry. No, I'm saying that if the Democrats do any further action on impeachment, whatever it looks like, President Trump will shut the government down. Well, let's head into the Bloomberg terminal for a second because Alex Harris reports on the Bloomberg terminal, quote, previous closure episodes, most recently the one that ended in late January, have caused disruptions to the release of major economic indicators such as the GDP report and trade figures. With temporary funding measures due to expire November 21st, there's a risk that could happen again if lawmakers in the administration don't reach an agreement. Joel Payne, you're a Democratic insider. Take us into the mind of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She wants to get USMCA done. She's got to referee the impeachment inquiry. Where does a government shutdown this month play into this mix? Oh, it does nothing good for anybody. And I would imagine first in line would be President Trump. I mean, that th- this is the opposite of wag the dog, right? Like <laughs> wag the dog is like, hey, everything's under control. I got it. A government shutdown suggests that there is no control. And, you know, I think it would be very unwise <laughs> if the president went forward with linking impeachment to government shutdown. Um, I understand that politically he may see some advantage in that. But I think that's something that ultimately might be a loser uh, for the president. Right, so both of you have mentioned how impeachment might impact the prospects of a of a partial government shutdown. But there's no way that Democrats and Repu- there's no way you can ignore the impeachment backdrop and just think of the political chaos that would re- reverberate in terms of the mainstream press interpretation of what's going on in Washington should the government shut down around Thanksgiving and oh boy 
Thanksgiving around the, the, the Thanksgiving table if the government shut down and there's impeachment. Oh, it's going to be worse than the Nats Clubhouse. Well, let's bifurcate it because we have been bifurcating the pr- procedure and the politics of it. So the procedure-wise, you have eight days for them to put together 12 appropriation bills. It's never going to happen. The politics of it, the politics of it, 100% is in Trump's favor. I disagree with Joel, Michael Strahan of politics to my right here. <laughs> I 100% disagree with him for two reasons. First and foremost, every member of Congress will get paid. And they haven't been doing anything. And no, this is what I'm saying. So you're saying that you're not going to pay the troops. You're not going to function VA. You're not going to put out Medicare checks. You're not going to do Social Security. You're not going to open post offices. But you, as a member of Congress, who should have been working the previous 12 months, get paid. No, that's not going to work. And And don't forget about the supply chain here inside of Washington, D.C. You've got these small business owners who are dramatically going to be impacted around the holidays and have delayed paychecks. That's not fair. That's not right. I don't care what party you're in. Well, irrespective of whether it's fair or right, outside of Washington, D.C. is what wins presidential races. And outside of Washington, D.C., they have seen a 9% growth since 2008 every single year. And the markets. Markets are doing good. All right. So you've got that on the one issue. And then just quickly, I want to... I want to wrap this up in terms of market movers because a lot of economic indicators this month could be impacted by the prospects of a looming, potentially, government shutdown on November 21st, uh, and not to mention holiday travel plans for these lawmakers, which always acts as an impetus to get a deal. They want to get the heck out of town. They want to get to Dulles, fly home to their constituents, their families for the holiday. Don't underestimate that. But then we've got President Xi and President Trump. Are they going to sign phase one this month? President Trump suggested within the last 24 hours that he would be willing, now that Chile is off the table to sign that agreement, he would be willing to have this in Iowa, in Alaska, in Hawaii, uh, or even somewhere in China. Quickly, Sari, yes or no, by the end of the month, do you think President Trump wraps up phase one of the U.S.-China trade talks? Yes, because the Democrats need it in those six swing states that the New York Times wrote about today. Yeah. Joel? Sure. Um, but, but, but with <laughs> but, but a little bit. No, no, no. But I mean, but there's, a little, there's a little bit more Monday. to it, but I know we're short on time. So, no, go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I think I think no, the little now bit, I'm intrigued. I think I think the little bit more to it is the fact that um, Democrats actually I think that there is a place where they can enter. They can interlock with Trump. On some of these trade issues, like Elizabeth Warren does not sound all that different from Donald Trump on trade. Nope. And so I think that that's an interesting kind of strange bedfellows mix that some Democrats don't mind. And I think that's a place where the president could probably bracket some Democrats into some support. And you know who's really underestimated it? President Xi Jinping. Because you're right. Tariffs, they're talking tariffs on the left, on the right, whether you like it or not. You mentioned Bird Seri. I just want to do a, a quick thing. More Washingtonians are suddenly into bird watching. And that's according to the Washingtonian. And if anyone's been down in city center recently, there's around this hour, like hordes of birds just flying and circulating. (laughs) So don't think we're crazy. But every time at this hour, we're surrounded by in our glass studio of these hordes of birds (laughs) migrating. And the Washingtonian's writing about it. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha 
for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Here's my plan. Look at this. Look at this. Okay. First off, right, we're going to cut military spending. So immediately dead in the water. (laughs) Two, uh, Jeff Bezos is going to pay, go from paying no tax to a tax. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Bezos, the government is a little like Amazon Prime. You reap the benefits, you got to pay an annual fee. And that's called... (laughs) Texas. And uh, unlike you, we can't just take it out of your debit card without warning. <laughs> Kate McKinnon, Saturday Night Live's Kate McKinnon, uh, who has just, I think, has been spot on with Senator Elizabeth Warren, the Democrat from Massachusetts. Uh, there, I don't know if it was poking fun or just imitation with regards to Medicare for All. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Our panel today, Sari Kim, Republican strategist. Joel Payne, Democratic strategist. Joel, I saw you crack a smile there. Is there some truth in the humor about Medicare for All and the way Warren's making a pitch to some more moderate voters? Oh, it's just funny. Satire is funny. Um, Look, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren should be happy that Saturday Night Live (laughs) deems her to be serious enough to where they gave her a dedicated character. That's (laughs) That's probably something that Cory Booker or wouldn't mind, or wow. it's probably. I'm just saying, Ooh, they, you, know, you go th- you go down the line. Some of these candidates, I'm sure they wouldn't mind if Saturday Night Live had a dedicated cast member on them. So probably a uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So now the dust has settled on this Medicare for All proposal and trillions of dollars, depending on which estimate you look at. Uh, the Biden campaign, Joe Biden, Democratic former vice former vice president, Democratic presidential frontrunner, Joe Biden's campaign, poking some holes on it. Pete Buttigieg, South Bend mayor of Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, also being somewhat critical of of Warren's plan. And even Bernie Sanders, who says that he was the OG uh, of Medicare for all, coming at it from a much different perspective than Biden, obviously, and Buttigieg. But is this going to work in terms of Elizabeth Warren navigating the crowded Democratic presidential primary field? I mean, listen, uh, Elizabeth Warren was always going to be painted as a tax and spend liberal. Um, I think if she came out with a plan that was half the cost or if she didn't even name a number on the plan, that's what she was going to be slapped with. I don't think this fundamentally changes the race in any way. I think that we all knew that Elizabeth Warren was going to go big or go home. On a, on a Medicare for All plan, just like she's going to go big or go all on everything because she's all about big structural change. Let me push you on this, Joel. But does Medicare for All, is Medicare for All a viable political policy position, not for a candidate's platform, but for the party's platform? I am old enough to remember oh. when John Edwards, who I'm I worked for, now, Joel. Careful. Who, who, who I worked for in 2007, John Edwards and Elizabeth Edwards, God rest her soul, Push the Democratic field to the left on what would become Obamacare. That was a that was an outlier position in the Democratic Party 12 years ago. That was something that happened in the primary, and that's what primaries are for. They're laboratories where parties decide what their values are. The Democratic Party is deciding what their values are on this. It very well may end up that Medicare for all is the Democratic position, but they're having a very active discussion about it. I think it's healthy. 
do union workers in Pennsylvania, where I'm from, in Ohio, in Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, do union workers, Sari Kim, want Medicare for all? Absolutely not. I mean, here's here's the two problems with Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan. One, currently the United States healthcare system costs us fifty one trillion dollars. You implement Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All plan, fifty four trillion dollars. That's her number. That's not my number. And she also writes when you think about pay fors and how that works, you're going to take a three percent billionaire tax to six percent. And here's why union workers doesn't like it. You're going to get rid of all union plans and the federal government that currently has a 13 percent waste, fraud and abuse in Medicare that currently can't collect six hundred billion dollars worth of taxes every year that currently makes sure that 81 million Americans doesn't have health care, even though Obamacare was passed so that every American can have health care. That's what you want from Medicare for all. Hey, I'm happy to have her talk about it all day, every day, because I want to go back to the White House. I, I, I have been working in government in and around government for 15 years. I remember when Trent Lott was the majority leader. OK, Republicans in the time that I have been in government have never articulated a plan around health care. Democrats have articulated a, a plan around health care that became Obamacare and have now know, committed wait, wait. the last and have now committed the last half decade in trying to, how, how to fix and how to plus up Obamacare. What about Romney care? How about Romney care? I mean, that was a plan. OK, I mean, fine. Did, okay, is that a, I'm not is that a to, stock? Is that a stock? Is that a stock Republican position? No, though? but like, also Senator John McCain advocated for cross state lines with regards has to the, has the leadership. I'm not trying to debate. The I just think I just think of the Republican, has the leadership of the Republican has the leadership of the Republican Party ever made like health care like a priority? No, it, I, it's I understand pro- the point. It's only been making. a priority when they want to take. Healthcare All right. Listen, away. I, let's let's listen to Senator Elizabeth Warren defending her health care plan uh, because she now is once again having a debate on her terms, whether the Democrats, whether Biden likes it, whether Buttigieg likes it, Bernie likes it, whether any of them like it. She I almost said Beto. He dropped out Friday. Um, but he, whether any of them like it, her plans are driving the conversation. Her plans are in the Democratic ecosystem of media. Take a listen to Elizabeth Warren defending the Medicare for All plan. We are currently on a path that is going to cost Americans $11 trillion over the next 10 years. They're going to reach in their pockets over and over and over to pay deductibles. So there's Senator Elizabeth Warren speaking earlier in Davenport, Iowa. And Mayor Pete Buttigieg is now emerging as taking, I guess, a sh- a sh- having sharper elbows now that he's being perceived or maybe he's trying to perceive himself as the <laughs> alternative to Joe Biden, who really has yet to dip in national polls. Take a listen to Pete Buttigieg. What is just not true is that hers is the only solution. This my way or the highway idea that either you're for kicking everybody off their private plans in four years or you're for business as usual. It's just not true. I- I'm proposing Medicare for all who want it. That was Pete Buttigieg speaking on ABC this week. Uh, Sari, what do you make of Buttigieg and his ascent uh, now that the race is getting closer to Iowa? I think the ascent of Pete Buttigieg speaks to one thing, age. 
you are seeing a generational gap. You have a 78-year-old, an almost 80-year-old, and a 70-year-old who is top tier. They are talking about issues that Joel, you, Christine, me, and the 40 million Americans have no concern about. There has to be an idea of next generation healthcare, next generation defense, next generation foreign affairs. And this is why Andrew Yang is the most important wow. voice that people should pay attention to. Well, we, yeah, we, we talk about him. Pete Buttigieg, Joel Payne, as an alternative to Joe Biden, whose fundraising numbers have dipped, whose national polling has not dipped, but has dipped in early caucus and primary states. Pete Buttigieg, where is, is he now as, a, as an alternative to Joe Biden? I don't view him as an alternative to Joe Biden. I view him as a real threat to win the Democratic nomination. I, the part that I agree with Siri on is that his generational – him being able to differentiate himself because he does come from a different generation, that is a unique quality that he has in the democratic field. Also, I do think that somebody who comes from that part of the country and who is the political athlete that Pete Buttigieg is – and I mean that guy is unbelievable on the stump. If you disagree with what he's saying, he is a virtuoso on the stump. Better than so, Biden? Yes, he is better than Joe Biden on the stump right now, but he obviously has to prove that he can win primaries and put together a winning coalition, particularly a coalition that includes African-American voters. Can he do so, that? I think he can. I think I think what a lot of voters, particularly African-American voters, that, that those constituencies in the Democratic primary field are looking for is a winner. And if they see somebody who can win in those early states, I think that you'll see – that thaw in, in Buttigieg's African-American support. And you know what else? Yeah. They said I, I, when I covered the, the, the 2016 crowded primary, Ted Cruz's camp would always say, oh, Trump will never win evangelicals. And you know what happened? Trump won evangelicals. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Panel stays. Sari Kim, Joel Payne. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Time now for What's on the Panel's Radar. Sari Kim's here, Republican strategist, soon to be a Dallas resident. And I guess a Dallas Cowboys fan. Ugh. <laughs> Let's not talk trash at NFC East on my last day in Washington, D.C. It's not your last day. I mean, my last day is the last time I come on Bloomberg Radio as Thank an you. official D.C. resident. Thank you. So, I appreciate yes. that. Uh, but, okay, I mean, it's going to be our new thing now. You kind of are moving to the – never mind. Uh, Joel Payne, Democratic <laughs> strategist. Is here. We're going to do what's on the panel's radar, but I've got to just flag this story because President Trump and the administration lost a key court battle, and they're going to take this court case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's about his taxes. Now, a court ruling that a compliance company in the financial services industry is going to have to release the tax data and records of President Trump. The president's legal team saying not so fast. They're going to appeal this to the Supreme Court. Well, we don't know is whether or not the Supreme Court is going to take up the case, but we will be carefully monitoring this. I can tell you that talk to sources all throughout the past couple of years who say that President Trump is not going to give up those tax returns uh, unless the Supreme Court would, would make him do so. So we're monitoring that. Uh, now it's time for what's on the panel's radar. Sari, what's on your radar? Uh, what's on my radar is the latest round on polling came out in the six 
quote-unquote new swing states, including Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Florida. And they said that it was all leaning towards Trump. However, they left out the... the Who polled? Huh? Who polled? Well, oh. New York Times. New York Times. Times. Am I allowed to to say it as a Republican since we stopped the subscription at the White House? You're the Um, only... For the record, you're the only one laughing. Yes. Um, But but, um, they left out the most important state, Ohio. Since 1944, Ohio has correctly predicted every presidential election except for one, which was Nixon-Kennedy in 1960. And I think maybe the New York Times didn't want to put it in because President Trump won Ohio by eight over Hillary Clinton, and he is currently leading by double digits, a state that has seen 23.8 billion dollars of economic growth since he's been elected. I think those numbers are hard to beat when even if you look at all the other tertiary things like Roger Stone's trial coming out. I could nerd out about about polls all day, but we're going to leave it there. That's fascinating poll data. Joel, what's on your radar? Well, um, on the impeachment front, one of the uh, Giuliani kind of uh, two, Lev, uh, has agreed to cooperate with investigators. Yeah, breaking news. Breaking news as, as we were on the air here. And obviously, that's a big deal. And we were talking earlier about what the game changers could be. Listen, something like that could be a game changer. How? What's he going to say that's we different? Don't, we, we don't, don't know. No, that's the point. I mean, and yeah. I'm hearing from my sources on the Hill that we're going to get these public hearings sometime around Thanksgiving, which, hey, if there's a partial government shutdown, folks, can you imagine that? Impeachment hearings, government shutdown, turkey holiday. It's going to be a mess. Here it is from Reuters. Rudy Giuliani, associate, ready to comply with the impeachment probe, according to his attorney. Lev Parnas, an indicted Ukrainian-American businessman who has ties to President Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Giuliani, now prepared to comply with requests for records and testimony from congressional impeachment investigators, his lawyer told Reuters on Monday. All right, so Giuliani's people are now talking. Uh-oh. Uh, what's on my radar? I'm going to go for it. President Xi Jinping. Because, again, we said this earlier. It bears repeating. The markets did not blink, and they haven't been blinking at all on the impeachment data. What they are watching is President Xi Jinping because he is expected to renew his pledge to open China's markets as the country inches towards a trade deal with U.S. President Donald Trump. That was confidence for the street. Uh, President Xi spoke at the start of a trade expo within the last 12 hours in Shanghai. And this was the Chinese president's first opportunity to address global investors since the world's two largest economies resumed trade talks in September. So he had a positive rhetorical approach. And let's just go over some of the key tenets of phase one of the U.S.-China trade deal. One, China would buy more agricultural purchases from farmers here in the United States. Two, the Chinese would open up their financial services sector to American businesses. And three, and this is a big one for both China and the United States, and that is that those December, mid-December tariffs that President Trump has threatened would be off the table. So we're carefully monitoring that. Obviously, political implications. Can you imagine, Sari, quickly, if President Trump inks that trade deal in Iowa? It's going to happen, Terry Bradstad. Is it going to happen, Joel? Last word. It's it might. Is that better than sure? Is that better than sure? (laughs) All right, we're gonna leave it there. Thank you to Sari. Hey, Sari, you're welcome anytime when you're back from Cowboy. Hook 'em horns. Hook 'em horns. Here we go. Can't uh, bring us some barbecue, Joel. Thanks, and I'll see you in Atlanta. Um, That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. Don Junior's on tomorrow. Tune in, Bloomberg 99.1. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.